0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Methanex Corporation Q3 2020 Earnings Call. I would now like to turn the conference call over to Ms. Kim Campbell. Please go
1: ahead. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our third quarter 2020 results conference call. Our 2020 third quarter news release, management's discussion and analysis, and financial statements can be accessed from the Reports tab of the Investor Relations page on our website at methanex.com. I would like to remind our listeners that our comments and answers to your questions today may contain forward-looking information. This information by its nature is subject to risks and uncertainties that may cause the stated outcome to differ materially from the actual outcome. Certain material factors or assumptions were applied in drawing the conclusions or making the forecasts or projections, which are included in the forward-looking information. Please refer to our third quarter 2020 MD&A and to our 2019 annual report for more information. I would also like to caution our listeners that any projections provided today regarding Methanex's future financial performance are effective as of today's date. It is our policy not to comment on or update this guidance between quarters. For clarification, any references to revenue, EBITDA, cash flow, or income made in today's remarks reflect our 63.1% economic interest in the Atlas facility and our 50% economic interest in the Egypt facility. In addition, we report our adjusted EBITDA and adjusted net income to exclude the mark-to-market impact on share-based compensation and the impact of certain items associated with specific identified events. We report these non-GAAP measures in this way to make them a better measure of underlying operating performance, and we encourage analysts covering the company to report their estimates in this manner. I would now like to turn the call over to Methanex's president and CEO, Mr. John Florin, for his comments and a question and answer period.
2: Good morning. We hope that everyone is continuing to stay safe and healthy. In the third quarter, we continue to demonstrate the resilience of our business through this difficult time. Our manufacturing operations and global supply chain have run safely and effectively throughout the pandemic, which has enabled us to deliver on our commitment of secure and reliable supply to our customers around the world. We'd like to express our appreciation to our team members across the globe who have demonstrated their ongoing commitment and agility this year. This morning we'll comment on our Q3 results, provide an overview of what we're seeing in the methanol markets, and discuss how we continue to manage our business in this challenging environment, including additional steps that we've recently taken to increase liquidity and preserve financial flexibility through this uncertain time and emerge stronger when market conditions further improve. Now I'll turn to the third quarter results. We recorded adjusted EBITDA of $40 million, which was higher than the second quarter as a result of higher average realized price, which was partially offset by lower sales of Methanex produced product and higher costs. We recorded an adjusted net loss of $75, $79 million, or one dollar and three cents per share in the third quarter higher compared to the second quarter primarily due to the one-time finance charge of 15.4 million dollars related to the early repayment of our 250 million dollar unsecured notes that were due in march 2022. excluding this one-time finance charge we would have recorded an adjusted net loss of 68 million dollars or 88 cents per share now turning to the methanol market We estimate that global methanol demand increased by approximately 9% in the third quarter of 2020 compared to the second quarter as economic activity rebounded around the world and methanol demand recovered across all regions and end-use markets. Globally, demand for traditional chemical applications improved as manufacturing activity recovered, particularly in the automotive and construction industries. Demand for energy-related applications, including MTBE, biodiesel, and other fuel applications improved as ground transportation and fuel demand saw some recovery. Methanol to olefin demand has remained strong throughout 2020. While demand has recovered in the third quarter of 2020, global demand, global methanol demand in the year through Q3 2020 remains 3% lower than the comparable year-to-date period in 2019 and below pre-COVID expectations for 3 to 4% growth. On an annual basis, we estimated the forecast demand in 2020 will be lower than the 2019 by 3 million tons versus pre-COVID expectations for 3 million tons of growth. As a result, we estimate that 2020 global demand will be 6 million tons lower than pre-COVID forecasts, reflecting the demand destruction resulting from the pandemic. Global methanol industry supply declined in the third quarter of 2020 compared to the second quarter due to various planned and unplanned outages, and plant shutdowns to respond to lower methanol demand. Our Titan plant in Trinidad remains idle, while our Chile 4 plant, which has been idle since April 1st, is in the process of restarting. Overall, the combination of increased methanol demand and lower industry supply has tightened global inventory levels and moved methanol prices higher. We estimate that the industry cost curve, which, which continues to be set in China, is approximately 200 to $240 per ton. Spot prices in China are above this range today. As a result of the tighter market conditions, our posted prices for October and November increased. We recently posted our November North American price, which increased by 13% to $379 per ton, and our Asia-Pacific price, which increased to $310 per ton. Our European contract price is set quarterly and our fourth quarter posted prices 275 euros for $320 per tonne. Now turning to our operations, our production levels were lower in the third quarter as we undertook planned maintenance activities at our medicine hat facility and our office facility in Trinidad. In New Zealand, our production levels were lower in the third quarter as a result of received lower gas deliveries as previously forecasted. We expect to receive higher gas deliveries in the fourth quarter.
3: In Geismar, both of our plants
2: ran at full operating rates during the third quarter. We completed our low capital cost Geismar 1 d bottlenecking project to increase our production capacity by approximately 10% or 100,000 metric tons per year and expect to ramp up to our new full production capability for Geismar 1 over the coming weeks. In Trinidad, we commenced the planned turnaround at our Atlas facility towards the end of the quarter and expect to resume production in early November. Our Titan facility remains idle, and negotiations with the National Gas Company of Trinidad and Tobago for a long-term gas agreement continue. In Chile, our production levels were lower in the third quarter as we received lower natural gas deliveries during the Southern Hemisphere winter months when the natural gas supplies are needed for residential heating. As global methanol demand is improving, we are in the process of restarting our Chile 4 plant. In Egypt, our plant ran at nearly full operating rates. In Medicine Hat, our production levels were lower as we commenced a planned turnaround in August 2020 and subsequently completed at the end of October. Now we'll turn to our balance sheet. In the current unprecedented environment impacted by both COVID-19 and challenging commodity prices, the path and pace for global economic recovery, the methanol demand remain uncertain. We believe that it's prudent to plan for a wide range of scenarios, including the possibility of a prolonged period of lower methanol demand and lower methanol prices. We have taken a series of actions in 2020 to preserve liquidity and improve financial flexibility during this uncertain time, including deferring approximately $500 million in capital spending on our Geismar III project, reducing our dividend by approximately $100 million on an annual basis, suspending share buybacks, reducing maintenance capital and operating costs and obtaining covenant relief on our credit facilities. In addition, in mid-September we issued 700 million dollars in 2027 notes to repay existing debt and increase our liquidity and financial flexibility with limited impact on our leverage metrics. We have repaid the 200 million dollars drawn on our revolving credit facility and in late September we issued an early redemption notice to repay our existing $250 million bond that was originally due in March 2022. The cash flow impact of early bond repayment will be reflected in our fourth quarter results.
4: The remaining $250 million is
2: available to provide additional liquidity. We have no other debt maturities until late 2024. During the third quarter, we also secured additional flexibility under our revolving credit and Geismar 3 construction facilities related to the minimum EBITDA to interest coverage ratio covenant through to December 31, 2021. A prior waiver had provided covenant relief until June 30, 2021. The steps that we have taken in 2020 to increase liquidity and improve our financial flexibility position us well to na- navigate through an, uh, this uncertain time and gener- generate significant long-term value and market conditions further improve. We are pleased to see recent early signs of economic recovery, including improvement in methanol demand and prices. Nevertheless, we continue to evaluate all options to preserve liquidity and improve, improve financial flexibility as necessary. Now, I'd like to turn briefly to our Geismar 3 project. As we've noted before, Our Geismar 3 project is a high-quality project with substantial capital and operating cost advantages and has been significantly de-risked. In April 2020, we placed the project on temporary care and maintenance for up to 18 months given the significant uncertainty regarding the global economy due to COVID-19. The project was in excellent shape and progress had been safe, on time, and on budget, and the head project had been significantly de-risked. We deferred approximately 500 million dollars of capital expenditures with the expected spending during the temporary care and maintenance period, reduced to only the costs that we were already committed and the completion of activities that preserve the flexibility to complete the future, the project in the future, such as certain key engineering activities and procurement of critical path equipment. Construction on the Geismar III project remains on hold and the various factors today do not currently support restarting construction. We want to be clear that we have a robust decision-making process for evaluating the project, and there are many factors that management and our board will need to consider carefully before restarting construction, including the global economic recovery and the methanol demand outlook, the methanol industry's needs for new capacity, the methanol price forecast, the ability to fund the project, and our suppliers' ability to complete construction and deliver material equipment on time and on budget in light of any COVID-19 restrictions. We will continue to review and monitor these factors as we continue to evaluate G3. We continue to explore partnerships, partnership arrangements for the project. Now turning to our outlook for the fourth quarter, we we expect that the outlook over the coming months to continue to be uncertain. We cannot predict the full impact of COVID-19 pandemic on the methanol market. Based on our posted prices so far, we expect average realized prices in the fourth quarter to be higher than the third quarter. We expect that our production levels in the fourth quarter will be higher compared to the third quarter as we've completed our planned maintenance activities in Medicine Hat and Trinidad. We are in the process of restarting our Chile 4 plant and we expect to receive higher gas deliveries in New Zealand compared to Q3. We expect adjusted EBITDA to be higher in the fourth quarter compared to the third quarter. As we look forward towards next year, we are updating our guidance on a couple of items starting in 2021. We expect our selling general and administrative costs to be flat in 2021 compared to 2020, as we continue to focus on our low-cost strategy. And we expect our maintenance capital guidance in 2021 to be approximately $120 million, which is consistent with our revised maintenance capital guidance for 2020. Before we pause for questions, we'd like to highlight a couple of points about the resiliency of our business. While the near-term outlook is uncertain, we continue to believe that the long-term methanol industry supply and demand fundamentals are strong. Methanol is a key chemical building block that is used to produce a variety of everyday consumer and industrial items. Methanol is also used in a growing number of clean burning and economic alternative energy applications. We expect that demand for methanol re- rebound and grow as global economic activity recovers. As a global methanol industry leader, with a network of production facilities around the world, an integrated global supply chain and low cost structure, our competitive advantage of delivering secure and reliable supply to our customers around the world remains intact. We have strong cash flow potential with significant leverage to methanol prices. We estimate that every $10 increase in our average realized price translates into approximately $60 million increase in adjusted EBITDA on an annual basis. We remain focused on operating our plants safely and reliably, delivering secure and reliable supply to our customers, and strengthening our business by preserving liquidity and improving financial flexibility. We are well positioned to navigate through this uncertain time and emerge stronger when market conditions improve. We would now be happy to answer any questions.
0: Thank you. Please press star 1 if you have a question. If you're using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before making your selection. Please limit your inquiry to one question plus a follow-up question. After that, if you have further questions, please rejoin the queue. There will be a brief pause by the participants register. Thank you for your patience. The first question is from Ben Isaacson of Scotiabank. Please go ahead.
5: Thank you. Um, Good morning. uh, John, I just wanted to understand, first of all, the dynamics that you're seeing between Q3 and Q4. So obviously in Q3, we had strong demand recovery, MTO um, rates were high. We had limited supply because of uh, outages, the turnarounds, Hurricane Laura, et cetera. But now as we kind of go get halfway into Q4, we're starting to see lockdowns increase. MTO economics are starting to move a little bit lower. We're seeing seasonal slowdown in construction and supply is coming back. So do you, uh, do you think that uh, Q4 could be a little bit weaker than uh, Q3 in terms of supply and demand?
2: Well, I don't predict the future. I can tell you what we see is that, you know, supply continues to be constrained. There is a plant that's being commissioned in Trinidad that has not really delivered a lot of product into the market yet. We understand there's another new plant in the United States that'll be commissioned sometime over the next few quarters. And we expect to continue to see demand recovery in Q4 based on where we are in our forecast for the quarter. But that could be impacted by further shutdowns, as as you've mentioned. So I can't predict, you know, our competitors' plants, if they're going to have unplanned outages or not. What I would say is that these plants need ongoing maintenance. And in the COVID-19 environment, it's very difficult to do regular maintenance never mind turnarounds we've just experienced ourselves doing a couple of them so i think you know it's hard to predict but uh, i think uh, q2 what we see is the bottom now but it's really depending on demand recovery and what you see for demand when we talk to our european customers today even with lockdowns their, their demand still seems to be okay but that could change very quickly so In this environment, I'm I'm really uh, not going to predict what might happen in one or two quarters from now.
5: And John, my my follow-up question is on the dividend. Um, Obviously, liquidity uh, is vastly improved. You're now prepaying debt a couple of years out. Um, When you think about the dividend, uh, is it your hope that you will reinstate the dividend back to what it um, originally was, or you'll kind of assess it at the time? Um, How are you thinking about that?
2: Well, hope is not a strategy. Um, I think, you know, as we generate excess cash, our first uh, uh, use for that cash will be to repair our balance sheet and to get our debt uh, leverage metrics back to investment grade kind of ratings. Beyond that, our our capital allocation strategy hasn't changed. Three pillars, to take excess cash to grow the company in line with the market. If we have projects that meet or exceed our hurdle rate of 13% return on capital employed, have a meaningful, sustainable, growing dividend and return excess cash beyond that to shareholders through share repurchases. So nothing's changed in our strategy, and uh, we'll see how our cash generation uh, develops here in the global pandemic, and you should expect us to follow that strategy going forward.
5: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. The next question is from Joel Jackson of BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
6: Hi, this is Robin on for Joel. Thanks for taking my questions. Uh, So my first is on G3. So for it to be restarted, would you need confidence that free cash flow would be positive, including the G3 capex during the
2: remaining construction period? Well, I think what I've said is we have to have the ability to finance that project, and without a partner, there's still quite about $900 million after what we'll spend in the uh, care and maintenance period that we'll have to figure out how to finance. So there's a lot of different options on how we do that, and we haven't made any decisions.
6: Okay, for my follow-up, what production level at New Zealand can be supported by the, the higher gas deliveries in Q4, and will the upstream gas projects Uh, that's going on in the country right now, allow for more normalized production in 2021?
2: Yeah, so I guided this time last year that we were expecting gas curtailments in New Zealand during 2020, and that's what we've seen, uh, COVID or no COVID. So we had guided to 1.8 million tons for 2020, and we're going to be a little lower than that, probably 1.7. Um, as there's a bit more activity than we had been told early or this time last year. So about 100,000 less for the year in New Zealand. And and next year we should get back to that 1.8. But the ongoing activity that we see gives us, uh, you know, pretty good certainty that we'll continue to see better um, gas deliveries in the future from New Zealand. But next year I think I'll guide to about 1.8.
7: Great.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you. The next question is from Jacob Bout of CIBC. Please go ahead.
8: Good
5: morning. Good morning. Uh, how far can you defer G3 without uh, further financial penalties?
2: Yeah, we're looking at all options regarding G3, and you know we don't have any decisions in front of us today. We've put it on care and maintenance for up to 18 months so you know our team are working hard to negotiate all the various contracts that we have related to G3 to give us the maximum flexibility that we could hope for in this very uncertain environment so we're continuing to talk to our various partners where we've made commitments and everybody's experiencing similar uh, you know that we are with all this uncertainty and I think our, our partners are, are being flexible but you know I really don't have any numbers to share And we're focused on the 18-month care and maintenance and see how markets develop uh, between now and then.
5: But to to be clear, after 18 months, if you continue to uh, delay this project, there will be some financial penalties.
2: I I wouldn't commit to that today. We're negotiating with our our suppliers. Uh, We may, you know, we have different options to consider. Um, So, you know, I I don't, I think there'll be some, commitments that we'll have to pay for, but, you know, it's too early to tell how much that might be. Okay.
5: And then just uh, in regards to Chile 4, um, what methanol price do you need to to break even there?
2: What methanol price do we need? (laughs) Well, I don't give uh, break-even prices a plant-by-plant basis, Jacob, uh, for competitive reasons, obviously. I would say the gas prices that we're seeing in that southern part of the world are very similar to what we're seeing in the United States. And and most of the products that we'd be making if Chile 4 would be going to Asia. So whatever assumptions you have for conversion and freight, you can, you know, figure it out. I'll leave it there. Thank you, John. Thanks, Jacob.
0: Thank you. The next question is from Steve Hansen of Raymond James. Please go ahead.
9: Oh, hey, guys. Um, Just a follow-up one on Chile, if I may. I uh, was curious, John, I think in the past you had guided towards uh, Chile being in a position to do roughly 75% utilization on two plants. That was prior to Chile 4 shutdown, obviously. are we to assume that that's going to be a similar type arrangement now going forward once Chile 4 is up and running? Or how should we think about that cadence? Yeah,
2: assuming the, the world needs the product. The guidance hasn't changed. I mean, the, you know, the only two plants we had flexibility on, take or pick gas, was Chile 4 and Titan, and that's why we decided to shut those those plants down. Our guidance was 75% on an annualized basis for a two-plant operation, and how that was structured was think of Chile 4 running six to eight months a year and shut down during their winter period, which we're just coming out of and Chile one running at full rates, uh, except for their winter period. And on average, that should get us to about 75%. We haven't run both plants at full rates for any extended period, so we're not really sure the total nameplate capacity, uh, you know, once they're integrated. So we have a bit of discovery still to do, but, you know, we still believe, based on our current gas contracts, current gas availability throughout the year, that that guidance is, is still good. But it will be smooth 75% throughout the year. During their winter period our summer period, you should expect Chile 1 to run at lower than full rates and Chile 4 to be down.
9: Understood, that's helpful. And and if I may then, just as a follow-up on the operational side, the, the Atlas turnaround strikes me as being quite quite extended this period, but I think you suggested in the release that it was started in September and it'll be back up and running in November. Um, but if we look at the utilization rates that it ran at during the third quarter, it was also quite low. So is there is there anything to read into that, or is it just that the turnaround took longer than expected, or how should we think about uh, that process?
2: Yeah, there's lots to read into that. Um, you know, we had scheduled a turnaround in Atlas and Medicine Hat early in the year, and due to COVID-19, we couldn't do it. I think you know, Steve, that you've been at these plants, the catalyst degrades over time, the, and especially on an oxygen-based plant. So. Every month that goes by, you don't know, change out that catalyst, your operating rate is impacted, and that's what we've seen in Atlas. And We're kind of crawling along to try and get this turnaround done. The oxygen-based plants, you know, need uh, catalyst change a little bit more frequently than the regular steam uh, reformer plants. So, we, you know, we were lucky that we had a window to complete the turnaround. It's about 45 days, give or take, and, you know, we're, we're pretty well complete, and we'll be starting it up in the coming days. So. I'm really proud of our team down there and our team in Medicine Hat for really uh, getting these turnarounds done in very difficult environments, especially with the COVID-19 protocols. So I'm glad we're not having any more uh, this year to do in this environment or even constructing in G3, I think would be a challenge that we've seen in that part of the world, uh, you know, plants that are under construction are delayed and and cost overrun because of the COVID-19 protocols, et cetera. So... I'm pretty pretty happy with what we've done in medicine and Atlas
9: okay great appreciate the color thanks
0: thank you the next question is from Sherilyn Radborn of TD Securities please go ahead thanks very much and good good morning maybe just picking up on that discussion about the difficulty undertaking turnarounds in this environment maybe you can give us some color on you know some of the major challenges and your perspective on the extent to which you think the industry may be behind on maintenance as a result.
2: Well, I think everybody's behind on maintenance. I mean, when you're down to minimum staffing levels at plants, you know, instead of 150 on site, you might have 55. So you're just uh, doing the stuff that you absolutely absolutely have to do to keep the plant running safely. Um, You know, when you do a turnaround, you're bringing between 1,000 to 1,800 people onto a site in a six to... 10-week period. So you can imagine in a COVID-19 environment with all the protocols of, of uh, distancing, testing, masks, a lot of these jobs are in confined space environments, A lot, you know, really collaborative, a lot of teamwork and, you know, a lot of focus on safety. So you're, you know, you're having people, you know, looking at safety all the time and all of this has to be done at, at a distance. Um, and then manpower availability, you know, we don't talk about that, but you have contractors that you sign up for that, you know, guarantee or in their contracts say we're going to have X number of bodies available for this particular job. And then you get half that amount for, for a job. So that leads to lots of complications. As, as in any time, COVID or no COVID, our focus is on safety. And in a COVID environment, it's a lot more complicated. It takes longer. Um, and you know in Medicine Hat we had an outbreak so that uh, further complicated things. Uh, this disease I don't think is still well understood and it seems to spread a lot quicker than we first thought. So we are always always overly cautious about keeping our, our team and our contractors safe. So it adds to cost in the fact that you have you know longer time to do the same amount of jobs, you have less available contractors so at, that adds time and Just the protocol that's time and 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 people so uh, it's a really difficult environment if you do it properly and you really follow the safety uh, protocols and guidelines that are put out by the various governments uh, to get any significant maintenance never mind construction work done
0: okay that's very helpful color Um, separately and with regard to mto demand as i'm sure you're aware there's been some talk about potential MTP restarts, and was just hoping you could give us Methanex's perspective on that.
2: Well, I'm not as bullish in this one as Argus is, and that's usually, I'm more bullish than Argus, so it's interesting, but i uh, would be a nice surprise if it happens. Uh, our team there is looking at it and following it very closely, but hasn't happened yet, lots of talk, uh, but it would be a nice little demand in, uh, driver if it does happen. I personally don't think it's sustainable based on the economics of just making propylene from methanol, but that's my personal view, and we'll continue to follow that market.
0: Thank you for the time, John. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from John Roberts of UBS. Please go ahead.
2: Thank you, John. Uh, Back to your maintenance comments there, do you have a gut feel for how much of the Industry supply is perhaps reduced by lower catalyst activity broadly and in longer downtimes when people are doing maintenance. Does it, it take one percent, two percent, out of the total
10: global supply availability?
2: I'd be guessing, John. I, I don't like to guess. I can tell you with Atlas, you know, you, you know, as you get to life, end of life of catalyst, it goes down pretty fast. Um, you know, I think our operating rates before we took the turnaround were eighty percent versus hundred. So. Doesn't take long as the catalyst degrades to, to reduce operations quite significantly. You know, anecdotally, I think some of the outages we've seen in Q3, planned or unplanned, have been related to, to maintenance, but that's that's normal. And I guess every different country has different protocols on how they do COVID nineteen. Uh, you know, contract or sorry, uh, social distancing and masks. So I think every country is a little difficult, but. In general, I think maintenance has been deferred. And I think, uh, you know, as you do plan turnarounds or unplanned maintenance, it's going to take longer and probably a little bit more expensive, but I don't really have a number I can share with you off the top of my head. Okay. And do you have any thoughts on North American natural gas prices over the next several quarters? The financial markets were obviously uh, preparing for higher gas prices. Yeah, I'm not an expert on gas, but what I know is there's lots of gas. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd say $4 and below, there's probably lots of gas for a long time. So I've seen it being very volatile, and I don't know if that's a factor of deliveries or, or system issues. I'm, I'm not sure, John, so I, it's a bit out of my area of expertise. Okay, thank you.
0: Thank you. The next question is from Jonas Oxgard of Bernstein. Please go ahead.
10: Hi. Good morning, guys. Um, Just one one quick clarification. The $100 million you mentioned uh, over the next 12 months, uh, some of that I'm assuming is is one time to finish up stuff. But how should I think about that long term if, if this ends up being in care maintenance for more than 12 months?
2: Yeah, again, we've given 18-month period of care maintenance. We've given guidance around how much we would spend, uh, in, including the commitments we've already made. Um, and then we'll, we're looking at if we have to further delay or, or you know, on a, a like a year or, or longer basis, what that might entail. And we don't have any numbers to share with you today because we're in negotiations with all of our partners on that project. And it's too early to make that call. So we have 18 months. Of care and maintenance for the prices that we've have about 100 million more to go, for a total, you know, around three to 400 million dollars, and uh, or 400 million dollars, and then we'll have another 900 million to go uh, to finish the project. And I, that that 900 million could change depending on uh, what timing we're looking at to complete that project. Uh, if we have to put it on longer uh, hold or or temporary further hold or or go forward, and we haven't made any decisions around that yet, and we want to see how methanol markets uh, evolve and give you the five conditions we're looking at to restart that project.
10: Okay. Um, the other is in, in your, um, you know, compare quarter over quarter, your discount to, uh, also your realized price uh, improved whereas your uh, benchmark price declined. So the discount clearly was reduced. Can you talk about what, what sets the factors for this discount, and, and is that something that is um, sort of forecastable, or is it just based on what you're doing
7: in the quarter?
2: Our guidance is 15% discount on average, and what we've said is when prices are increasing rapidly, that discount tends to, to narrow, and when prices are decreasing rapidly, it tends to expand, and you would have seen that in our results since 2018, uh, when we've had both of those events uh, occur. And uh, in the quarter, we probably had fairly stable at a very low price pricing, which led to that 15. You know, we're looking at right now renewing our contracts for next year for a good chunk of our business. I would say there's a a lot more intense rivalry out there today um, in placing volume because of the environment we are. And uh, that could impact discounts. And when we have something to, to update, uh we'll do so and probably we'll look to update our guidance on discounts uh, in the january call
6: oh thank you appreciate it thank you
0: thank you the next question is from eric Petrie of city please go ahead
8: hi good morning john good morning A fertilizer company this morning announced a goal to have one-third of its ammonia production will be low-carbon. Are your customers demanding greener methanol, especially into the fuels market? And then could you address the long-term enthusiasm for methanol into maritime uh, transportation demand?
2: Yeah, so some of our customers are asking us uh, for green methanol, as as we call it, and obviously want to pay the same as what we call regular methanol from natural gas, which the economics are quite different. When you make uh, methanol from a non-carbon, you know, uh, natural gas, like we're doing in Iceland, I'll remind you we have a project in Iceland that we've invested in that takes CO2 off of a power plant, takes water through electrolysis, makes hydrogen and, and uh, oxygen. The oxygen goes in the air. We use the hydrogen to make methanol. and That's so-called green methanol, which has no carbon. So it's possible, very expensive and, and hard to scale it. You know, these, these plants would be in the order of magnitude of twenty five to 50,000 would be a big one. And a big methanol plant from gas is 1.8. So you'd have to make a lot of these uh, all over the world, a lot of capital involved. And Probably the price you'd need is eight, nine hundred dollars a ton to to make a go of it. Well, our customers, some of our customers would like to see non-carbon or green methanol, but they're not prepared to pay eight hundred to nine hundred dollars a ton today on an, you know, for a lot of volume. Maybe there's some niche applications that could work where they want to take advantage of some of the government subsidies around credits, et cetera. But that's not a way to build a business on government subsidies and, and credits. So We've been looking at this for a long time, and we've been looking at the various technologies, and it does work. Um, does it work at scale? I think that's a question mark. And are is the market prepared to pay uh, today for what the, the price would need to have significant volume? And I would say no. Um, so we'll continue to look at it, and we're, there's lots of other things we can do, and including in Louisiana, using uh, natural gas that's made from a a, a zero carbon source and, and using that through our through our plant we can then have zero carbon methanol so but these are I'd say very small volumes today but you know who, who knows how far this could go in the future and what the willingness of customers to pay for green methanol is I think it's early days. As far as onboard ships yeah we, we're seeing a lot of interest in, in onboard ships our competitor has ordered a couple of ships. That'll be able to run on methanol or ultra low sulfur diesel, and uh, we continue to see a lot of interest. But I'd say I've always said, uh, you know, methanol to run ships. Although we've proven out the technology, from a significant demand driver, it's probably a mid-decade issue, not not tomorrow, not 2022. But I'd say the positives there is the technology works. We've proven that the efficiencies are there, the emissions reductions are there. Uh, no impact on the engines, and the fact that it's flexible—that you can switch from ultra-low sulfur diesel to methanol—all of that's been proven. Um, so I think that's exciting and uh, and groundbreaking, and uh, could you know could be a significant demand driver as we get into the second half of the decade. But still early days.
8: Appreciate that color. And then, for my follow-up question, you noted that uh, COVID and the pandemic has eliminated 6 million tons of methanol demand. So, how quickly do you see that ramping back up into the next few years? And then, could you just give a breakdown of where you see industry utilization by region?
2: Yeah, I'll have to get back to you on industry utilization by region. I I keep a lot in my brain, but I don't keep that. So, Kim will get back to you on that one. Um, As far as, methodal demand recovery. I mean, if you can tell me country by country what governments are going to do to deal with the global pandemic, I could give you a number. But, you know, governments have been very inconsistent with their approach and, uh, in my opinion, have been somewhat reactionary. So I don't know what governments are doing. Uh, certainly France is now shutting down and Germany's shutting down and other governments are letting things be wide open. So I think uh, this pandemic or this COVID-19 virus is going to be with us for a long time. Um, you know, a vaccine will eventually be uh, developed and it'll take some time to inoculate everybody and, uh, and uh, you know, we'll maybe get back to somewhat of a new normal, but I, I think this is going to be with us for a long time and that's why we've tried to build in as much uh, liquidity and financial flexibility as we can Uh, to be ready for all possible scenarios, including a reduced demand again and and whatever we might be seeing from a COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you, John.
0: Thank you. The next question is from Nelson Ng of RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
6: Great, thanks, and good morning, everyone. Um, Just a quick question. You mentioned that... uh, Uh, Titan and Chile 4 were the plants with the most uh, flexible, I guess, gas supply arrangements. And Now you're uh, restarting Chile 4, but I guess when we look at various scenarios, like if there's another uh, drop or material drop in the um, methanol price, um, is there a lot of flexibility to, um, I guess, uh, wind down Chile 4? Um, sometime over the next like two quarters and if uh, methanol prices continue to move higher um, are we really looking at Titan or are there other facilities where you can where you'll look to uh, try to squeeze out more production
2: Yeah, we try to run our plants at full rates all the time so if they're not running at full rates it's usually as a result of gas not not being fully available like we're seeing in New Zealand but our goal is to run our plants at full rates. Uh, Chile 4, again, we, we we have total flexibility there. So based on our current look for supply demand, we're not bringing it up for a couple of months. We're bringing it up. Uh, we think we'll, we'll be able to run it right through till the next time we need to shut it down, which is as they we come into their their winter time, which is uh, you know the spring our spring next year. So we expect to run that plant for... A good six months, so we're not thinking of bringing it up to shutting it down. But we would have the flexibility to do so if things got really uh, dire again. But that's not our current uh, view. So you should expect us to run Chile four right up till their their winter time next year. Is our current thinking um, as far as Titan? You know, I, I think we took it down. Um, we don't have a gas contract that allows us to be. Uh, cash positive through the cycle. There's a lot of uncertainty out there with methanol demand and supply. So I would say I never want to make black and white statements, but it, it would be difficult for us to restart that plant without some certainty around a gas contract for the foreseeable future. You know, once you take the plant down for a significant amount of time like we have, there's quite a bit of cost involved in restarting it. So unless we had some certainty around gas, uh, because we're not that certain around methanol markets and, and pricing, you know, it would be difficult for us to, to, to start it up. But uh, if we were to start it up, I think we'd, have, we'd get a lot of comfort in, high, you know, higher methanol prices for a longer time, which means to me a demand recovery and some sort of uh, stabilization as a result of COVID-19. But I, I don't see that in the next one or two quarters in our current view.
6: I see. So, so just for sort of Titan, if you were to restart it, obviously there's a bunch of startup costs. And from your perspective, would you would Titan have to run for like at least a year or two to to kind of make that uh, uh, in order for that to make sense?
2: Yeah, I'm not going to put any lines in the sand. I think we, you know, we we don't want to go back to a month-to-month pricing arrangement. Is what I would say. Um, which is what we had from in January to April when we shut it. Or March to when we shut it down. So we're negotiating, and uh, you know we're still optimistic we'll get something done with the government. But until we do, uh, I think in our planning, uh, you know, it'd be very optimistic to bring Titan up in this environment.
6: Okay, and then just on a follow up, um, can I just talk about the uh, cash on the balance sheet? Obviously, there's about one point two billion of cash and uh you're uh due to repay the 2022 uh debt mature uh the, the debt uh i guess uh soon but how should we think of the uh cash on the balance sheet is this uh something you're looking to kind of hold on to uh or are you kind of in the process of making some decisions on what to do with that cash in terms of whether you like repay the construction facility or or, um, or I guess any other potential uses?
2: Preserving liquidity and financial flexibility are a top priority right now. So uh, we'll continue to look at how markets develop. I think the good news based on our current forecast pricing for Q4 will we'll be cash positive again after, you know, maintenance and dividend and all the things. So, you know, we won't be eating into cash. So I think that's really good news, but is that sustainable? I'm not prepared to put my hand up and say that yet, but, uh, I think we'll leave that cash there uh to allow us flexibility and uh and uh you know depending on how markets develop we'll be good stewards of cash like we always have we're not going to hoard it and if we get to a place where you know we see things where we can generate a lot of cash and you know just remind you at 300 a ton which is not too far from where we are today on a realized basis we generate a nice amount of free cash so too early to be making uh, decisions around that, and our goal is to preserve uh, liquidity and financial flexibility.
6: Uh, great. Thanks, John. I'll leave it there.
0: Thank you. The next question is from Hassan Amen of Alembic Global Advisors. Please go ahead.
7: Morning, John. Good morning. Good morning. John, wanted to revisit um, a comment you made earlier, you know, uh, around Argus and Argus sort of talking about uh, certain MTP facilities coming online. Um, I mean, I too was quite surprised by that, uh, you know, particularly keeping in mind um, some of these propane dehydrogenation facilities uh, that are coming online in China. So, so again, uh, you know, on the MTP side, uh, I mean, you know, do you really think any of those facilities are going to come online? And then, you know, parling uh, onto that, you know, what, what are your views about the MTO operating rates as you look into 2021? I, I completely understand demand is uncertain right now, uh, you know, because of the pandemic. But just on the supply side, I mean, there's just so much ethylene capacity that seems to be coming online. You know, in China, it came online this year, continues to come online regardless of what the demand picture looks like. So how are you thinking about, you know, the MTP restart and MTO operating rates in 2021?
2: Yeah, our view on MTO hasn't changed. I mean, we we said the first wave was going to get built and run, and that's what's happened. I mean, they've been running throughout the pandemic under four, three less than $400 ethylene, uh, at 90 percent rates, uh, unless uh, there's been a technical issue. Nobody that we know has been taken down for so-called economic reasons that I read about in Argus all the time. Uh, and through the pandemic, it was probably the one demand source that was steady. So that's pretty interesting. That it, it And that has always been our view, based on talking to them, is once these get built, they're integrated, and they'll probably run. They may take maintenance at different times of the year. Uh, these are fully integrated uh, projects. but uh, you know, they need the ethylene and the propylene to make all their derivatives and that they're selling every day on the market. And some of these sites make 10 products, some make four. It really depends on the site. So the economics of running or not running are different for each and every site and that's what we look at. We don't just look at methanol price and then what is propylene and ethylene trading at. I think that's a very simple model that doesn't you know, really capture the full economic value of, of the site on, on any given MTO project. So we've said that consistently and I think history has proven us right up to now. That doesn't mean we'll be right in the future. I don't predict the future. But we talk to them. We look at their operating rates, and uh, 90% we think is full rates just because they're always going to be in a turnaround or some sort of technical, and these are large demand users of methanol. You know, an average plant might use 1.8 million tons, so they have a 30- or 60-day outage. That really impacts the overall operating rates. I think there are 13 sites or something like that, so they're big. And when they go down, they have an impact on methanol demand. So around 85 to 90 is what we would guide to. And, uh, you know, I think that's what we'll see. You know, if they ran at that rate at less than $400 ethylene, then, you know, why wouldn't they in the future? But we'll see how it turns out. MTP, you know, that to me is really economic methanol to propylene. And then you're competing with PDH and crackers and ethane crackers and uh, naphtha crackers and maybe short term. It could make sense to make some short-term cash, but I really don't see it sustainable. That's what we were told back in 2016 when the four plants went down because of the oil collapse last time and PDH and propylene prices collapsing. That's what we were told. Is there some conditions today that may make sense to make a bit of cash for, for, for some time? I don't know. I, I just don't see it sustainable. But I, in this one, I hope I'm wrong. I hope they come up all four of them, and they run forever. Uh, that would be great, but I, I'm not counting on that in, uh, in my forecast.
7: Very fair, very clear. Um, and as a follow-up, John, um, you know, medium to longer term, uh, <laughs> you know, I guess it's a struggle to even think about uh, anything beyond the pandemic, but, you know, medium to longer term, um, you know, with the volatility that we've seen in, in methanol prices, I mean, what are you guys seeing in terms of um, – some of these sort of greenfield capacity addition announcements that had been made? Are you seeing sort of delays, cancellations? I mean, you know, sort of longer term, let's say, you know, four or five years out, you know, how are you guys thinking about, uh, call it, uh, you know, a supply growth keger or however you may think about supply growth? No, I think it's
2: a great point. In this environment, it's very difficult to be running plans today, never mind building new ones. So. Our current view is, you know, the Trinidad plant will get running as well and, and providing product at some point in here in the in the coming quarters. Uh, the uh Yuhang Coke plant'll get finished and will run and, and provide methanol. Beyond that, you know, there's no shovels in the ground. So there's a few projects I think in Russia and some some new supply in China that'll uh, you know displace existing production and, and then the big wild card is iran if there's been plants under construction in iran for a long time and plants that have you know according to argus been been running which we haven't you know we watch the shipments out of iran that's how we know how much they're producing because there's not a lot of demand within iran and you know it hasn't changed all that much so you know that to me is the big wild card how much production do we get out of iran in the next three to five years and i don't have an answer for that but we'll continue to watch it. But beyond that, you know, there's there's not going to be, in my view, a lot of a willingness to lend a bunch of money to this industry to build more methanol plants in this environment, especially since '16 we've seen tremendous volatility, and you know, and since '09 we've had now in just over 10 years three very volatile cycles, and uh, it's not a lot of fun at $214 a ton, even if you are the low cost producer. So I, I can't imagine. Uh, others looking to invest in this industry
7: uh, in the medium term. Very helpful, John. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. The next question is from Mike Leithead of Barclays. Please go ahead.
8: Great, thanks. Good morning, John. Good morning, Mike. I wanted to go back to, I think, in your prepared remarks, you made a comment about 4Q production being higher i was hoping just given um the restart at Chile 4 g1 some of the turnarounds coming back online if you could give us just a little bit more color around the order of magnitude we should expect in terms of the 4q step up which i assume should also help some of your product mix as well
2: yeah i don't really guide to how you know to plan by plan operating rates. i think i've given enough guidance that you can come to the right the right number um, you know, all, we're not having any turnarounds, I've um, given the uh, number for New Zealand, uh, you know, so you can look at the capacity for other plants and kind of figure it out. But I'd rather not give a plan by plant guidance.
8: Fair enough. And then I did want to go back to Titan and a potential restart there, uh, kind of parsing between your words a bit. Is it fair to say that getting Titan eventually back up and running is more dependent on getting the right natural gas contract um, structure in place versus kind of demand coming back, or, or how should we think about what would need to happen in order to get uh, Titan back online?
2: Yeah, so a little bit of history probably helpful. You know, we, we had a five-year contract that ran ran out at end of December, and uh, we were always clear with the NGC that, we wouldn't continue to run unless we had a gas contract. Um, methanol market conditions were different then, and uh, we came to a short-term arrangement as we were negotiating to keep the plant running on a you know day-by-day basis on a fixed-price gas as we were negotiating. But our goal was never to run the plant without a you know a medium-term five-year gas contract. But you know, in good faith, we we worked uh, to do that with the government. But as soon as COVID hit and the demand uh destruction happened and pricing cratered it, it made no longer sense to follow that strategy and we were very open with the ngc that we would be taking the plant down but we would still be uh, negotiating good, in good faith a contract that allowed us to generate uh, eva throughout the cycle and that's where we are today so i again I, I never say never about anything but it would be unlikely for us to restart the plant Uh, in this environment without some sort of firm gas price uh, arrangement with the NGC that takes us out three to five years. So we're still optimistic we can get there, but until we're there, we're we're not going to be running.
8: I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Thank you. The next question is from Matthew Blair of Tudor Pickering Holt. Please go ahead. Your line is now open.
10: Uh, I I just want to um, circle back. You you mentioned some costs associated with restarting Titan. With the Chile 4 restart, do we need to factor in any incremental costs into our our Q4 modeling for that?
2: Well, again, I'll remind you uh, on my guidance for Chile 4, our, our, our plan was always to take it down during their winter months, COVID or no COVID, because gas is not available in that Part of the region to run two plants during their winter time so that would have been baked into our plans for 2020 and 2021 that that's our operating model so any associated costs with that would have been baked into our plans titan's different we weren't planning on shutting it down we were optimistic we would get a gas contract and uh so there would be some additional costs. i'm not prepared to say how much or or you know but you know when we take Chile Four down, we take it down in a way that we're going to start it up in three months. And uh, Titan was taken down, you know, with the intent of starting it up, but uh, there'll be some additional costs. The order of magnitude, not really prepared to to say until we have more detail.
10: Okay, sounds good. And then you had a pretty big inventory draw in Q two, and and now again in Q three. Are you happy with current inventories, or do you do you feel a, a need to to build those back up in the coming quarters? <laughs>
2: yeah lots of help there um, you know when when we saw what happened in the uh, markets uh, liquidity was our number one focus uh, working capital uh release was our number one focus i think our marketing team and our supply chain did a outstanding job in reducing our working capital while still keeping every single customer uh and their demand 100 percent satisfied even though it was very volatile so Again, we demonstrated our value to our customers about being flexible, agile, and meeting their needs, whether they're up or down or the same. So, you know, I'll leave that to our supply chain people to to decide. And uh, you know, they try to optimize working capital while keeping our customers satisfied, and, and that's what they'll continue to do. And there'll be some fluctuations, but our guidance there is still is still the same. And some quarters will be a little higher, some quarters will be a little lower. Uh, but you know, you think about it. You know, we're selling over 10 million tons of methanol. Our average inventory is around a million to a million one. A third of that is at the plant, a third of that's on the water, so only a third of that is servicing customers. So that you know, three to four hundred thousand tons servicing ten million tons of sales, our team does an outstanding job each and every day in, in keeping working capital low and servicing our customers. Sounds good. Thanks. Thank you.
0: Thank you. The last question is from Lawrence Alexander of Jefferies. Please go ahead.
10: Hello. Uh, just one quick one then. Um, given the benchmarks you gave for the green hydrogen, what would be the equivalent um, price of merchant uh, of of methanol plus um, methanol plus uh, offsets, you know, either carbon credits or other offsets? Um, So just so people can think, if a customer wants to have a green methanol pipeline um, as part of their claim, what is the transition cost until the green methanol technology is sorted out? I'm sure I understand your question. Uh, You know,
2: the cost for producing green methanol like we do at CRI is approximately two times what it would be for natural gas-based methanol. That's your question. No,
10: no what Introduce- I, if, the, if the customer would like to have, be able to claim that they are using carbon-neutral methanol and they went out into the market to buy a carbon offset or, um, you know, or funded uh, renewable electricity or some other kind of program to offset, do you have any sense for what that cost would be relative to the cost of just doing green methanol with the CRI technology?
2: I guess it depends on the price of the carbon offsets, which I understand trade on a market, and that's pretty volatile as well. So you're probably above my pay grade there, uh, Lawrence, on that question. Okay. OK, thanks. OK, We're thank you. And uh, we are encouraged by recent early signs of economic recovery, including improvement in methanol demand and an increase in methanol prices. Thanks to the dedication and agility of our team members worldwide, we continue to operate our plants safely and reliably reliably, and deliver secure and reliable supply to our customers worldwide. In this uncertain environment, we remain focused on strengthening our business by preserving liquidity and improving financial flexibility to enhance our ability to navigate potential near-term challenges and execute on our strategies to deliver value to our shareholders over the medium to long term. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll speak with you in January. And thank you for the ongoing interest in our company.
0: Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time. We thank you for your participation.